It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, ma. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. Especially when the season get hectic. I stay waiting on it like receiving a Nets pick. Nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth you might even hear a story on Gigi. So in depth they might do an hour about the D-League. So in depth you probably should pay him but it's a freebie. Yeah, John Corrales and J. King. Locked on trying to get the 18th ring. So you can miss me with the blah blah. No more Gino time. We watching Jay do the Zaza. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Locked On Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, it's me, your boy, Jay King. We have a special guest coming your way. That is Brian Scalabrini, the great Scalabrini. We had a fun talk about Paul Pierce retiring about the 08 championship team, and about Scalabrini's mentality that carried him through an 11-year NBA career, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, Before we get to that, though, first a word from our sponsors, Boston Paintball. The biggest and best-known name in New England for paintball for 25 years, Boston Paintball proudly offers Splatmaster for players ages 8+, plus, and new low-impact and classic paintball for players ages 10+. plus. Private group play is an option, and they have three locations in Massachusetts that each offer a completely different playing experience. Indoor and night play in Chelsea, outdoor competition in Woodsball Fields in Maynard, or check out the real-life 23-building apocalyptic cityscape in Ashland, complete with a hospital, an airplane, and an army deuce. I didn't know, so maybe you didn't either, but paintball has changed a lot in 20 years, and Boston Paintball promises that you will, in fact, be loved by everyone for your sheer brilliance and creativity. Today, there are three different versions of paintball to choose from, and kids as young as eight-year-olds are playing. Paintball is now a game for just about everyone. Boston Paintball got, got its start over on Causeway Street in the shadow of the old Boston Garden back in 1992, and they have been a part of the good times for over 1 million players. Leaders in the field and in the industry, you can trust your kids, your special occasion, and your memories to Boston Paintball. Head over to bostonpaintball.com, that's bostonpaintball.com, to make your reservation online. And while you're there, let the video tours of each facility help you decide which location you want to play first. All right, now let's get to that interview with Brian Scalabrini. All right, so I'm here with Brian Scalabrini, NBA champion, color analyst for Comcast, Boston Celtics coverage. 
We appreciate you coming on, Scal. I've been trying to get you on this podcast for like a year and a half. We finally got you because of, of hair transplants, Dr. Leonard's hair transplants. What's, what's the event you guys are working with today? So tonight we're going to Del Frisco's uh, bar and we're bringing, I think, 160 people. And uh, all the money that's uh, raised goes to a charity. So it, it's, it, but it's just about uh, uh, Dr. Leonard. You know, I went to go see him when my, my hair was starting to recede in the front. And, uh, I mean, the guy was great. He hooked me up. And so it's basically a, a way to sort of, like, get the, get the word out there, but also to make you know, the money go to something good in uh, the city of Boston. There you go. All right. So so let's get into some basketball questions now. Paul but Pierce. Wait a minute. But wait a minute. Okay. You, but you, you <laughs> this is like a, a funny way of getting me on the podcast because I told you, you're too little to have me on the podcast. <laughs> now, to go through these other channels to get me on, I feel like that you're kind of like cheating the system. You know what? Like, nope. I wanted you to grow and be big, and you just sort of cheated the system See, and I, got through it this way. I'm big enough your people reached out to me to have a podcast once this event happened. So really, really, I must be big enough. But it wasn't you. It wasn't you doing it. it they reached out to you. Did yeah. You reach out to them. No, your people reached out to me, uh-huh. man. You got to get your story right. All right. So let, let's get into some basketball questions. Paul Pierce just signed a contract to retire with the Celtics. I got to ask the question: Were you openly trying to disrespect the Boston faithful by declining to do the same? Were the, were the Bulls more important to you that you wanted to retire with them? Um, I think that they <laughs> paid me to play for two seasons. <laughs> Pierce played for two seasons, and I think Paul did a little bit more for the organization than I did. So I have, I got no beef with what Paul has done. And someone asked me that earlier. I think everyone thinks that I retired a Celtic anyway. A lot of people in remember me with the Bulls, but a lot of people don't even know that I played for the Bulls. And a lot of people think I actually still do play for the Celtics. So I think in, in looking at it from that angle – like, we both got the same message across. Well, for real, though, did, did you start reminiscing about old times when you saw Pierce's decision to retire and, and him putting on the Celtics gear again? No, so when I get when, – when, when my guys start to retire, whether it be Garnett, uh, Pierce, Jason Kidd, like those type of players, I get a little bit sad. You know, sad in the sense that, you know, I know I'm getting older, but I want – these guys, not only are they my teammates, man, these guys are like my heroes because I see what they do – you know, day in and day out, I saw the commitment they had to winning and knowing that they're like walking away in a way. I, and I know it's not doing it like it's not giving up. But in a way, I thought these guys would like never, ever do that. Never give give up, never walk away. So it's sad in, in, in those uh, respects. But on the other hand, I'd like to see these guys continue to, to do the things that they need to do. So, so before we get to your career in the NBA, I, I, I'm interested about that that OA team. Uh, did did they change what you thought it took to build a winner? Like, did they teach you things, different things about what was required to earn a championship? Not really. You know, like I I was my first two years in the league went to the finals, and you know the first year I didn't really understand. We got like just waxed by the Lakers, but that second year I saw the commitment it took. When we played with when I was with the Nets and we played the Spurs, I, I, I knew what it took to win. And and uh, but what those guys did, I think the three guys in general, the big three at the time, they just kept one up in each other as far as hard work, and they all worked differently. So like Pierce loved to hoop, loved to play one on one, get in the gym. Um, Garnett was meticulous on his preparation, his work, and his, his his training on his body, and Ray was just. You know, get into the gym three and a half hours early, 
you know, running, you know, two and a half miles on a game day, five miles on a, on a day off just to keep his body in tip-top shape. And I saw it wasn't – those guys never took the short-term approach of, like, I got to play well today. It could be approach of, I got to be playing well in June. And then that sort of, like, made me think, all right, there's, there's effort to win a game that day, and then there's some, building something where you're trying you're, – you're good, you're effective, you're still winning games, but – your goal is long-term to win a championship. Yeah, now, now you you played with two guys who are considered two of the best teammates in NBA history. This might be one of the tougher questions you've gotten. Who's a better teammate, Jason Kidd or Kevin Garnett? Both very different. Like, Kidd looked out for me as a point guard, you know, continue to distribute the ball and make everyone around him better. Garnett made people around him better in, like, a different type of way. But just his presence and his caring about every one of his guys. I, I've never had a teammate like Garnett that cared uh, about everyone in the organization, not every player. He cared about the coaches. He cared about like interns. He cared about everyone in the organization. And, and I, I think it's like sort of everywhere he went, raised the level of their job, whether it be on the court with players, you know, guys in the training room, guys in the, in the workout room. Like he just had this presence about him that everyone had to raise their level. And you add that up over the course of 180 days, which is a regular season, you get a whole lot better because everyone is trying to operate at the highest level. Did you stay away from him before a game? He was kind of crazy before games. Yeah, 60 minutes. So everyone, that's 60 minutes on the clock, he switches over into like that guy. But before, like 70 minutes on the clock, he'll talk to you about how's your family, how's everything like that. But once that clock starts ticking down and he's got to get his mind right for the game, yeah, you, everyone knew. But it didn't, you don't have to be a genius to figure that out. Like he became really, really focused and, and, and really internal. And then so from that point on, you realize like when you're around them, you want to – if me and Eddie House want to go have a joke, we go to the weight room, which is to the side, or to the training room or on the court. But in the locker room or wherever Kevin Garnett was, it was all business uh, before a game. Did anybody ever make the mistake of, of of making a joke to him when he was in that mind state? Tony Allen one time had his music too loud, and, he, and Garnett could hear it through the headphones, and he asked him to turn it down. And, and that, that, like, uh, that was like a big deal for a, a real – you know, like a brief moment, like 10 seconds or something like that. It's like, I, I, it was just a, a way of setting the locker room, uh, you know, like, like keeping it focused before we go into a game. So there's like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a lot of games. There's a lot of, it was three years with Garnett. It's probably, you know, 300 or so games. And so, you know, it's just about, you know, being ready. And, and I think he set the tone of everyone understanding when that 60 minutes starts ticking down, he expects everyone to be focused. Yeah. Now, now, one thing I'm really interested in is your mentality as a player. I, I think it takes a special type of guy to play 11 seasons, mostly on an NBA bench, never knowing when you'll play a lot, staying ready for when you were. You, one thing you've told me is that you wish you had more confidence during your career. I guess the question is, what was the inner battle like for you, knowing you weren't among the best players but still trying to compete against them? So, I mean, the biggest thing is, like, you – and I don't know if this makes you stupid, but I tried every day. I thought every day was my was my day. Like every day, I'm going to play, you know, 40 minutes. And it happened one time in New Jersey. Kenyon Martin went up for a jump ball. He came down and he sprained an ankle. There was someone else was out, and I ended up playing 47 minutes that night. So you just you just never know when your opportunity is going to come. And I live by that even today. Like everyone in the NBA, when things don't go well, they want to pick and choose like their opportunity. They want to say, oh, well, I didn't play or the coach don't go with me or this or that. 
I believe that everyone gets a chance and you got to make the most when you do get a chance. So in one sense, I always prepared about being ready. The other sense, you know, like when I did get a chance to play in normal rotational minutes and I, and I missed a shot or two, I get, I get down because, you know, I know that that opportunity could be slipping, slipping away. You know, it's, it's a hard thing to do it. For me, it was really easy to stay ready. The, the challenge for me was when I got out there and I got a chance to play, you know, like, and, and things didn't go well, like, to, to, like, push it to the back of your mind and just move on. Because, you know, I under, I'm not stupid. I understand the implications of when you do get a chance that you don't play well, that could end up, you could not end up not playing for two weeks. So, you know, those are things that, like, I, uh, like I would challenge kids nowadays. Like, I have my daughter, and she plays sports, and I'm always challenging her. Like, if you play bad or you do something bad, you got to do your best to move on to the next play. You can think about being bad later, but just not when you're still playing. And that's a big challenge, I think, for young kids nowadays to get down on themselves. Uh, did, did you really run a 445 mile, man? Yeah. I, like, uh, that that's a fast mile. <laughs> you are... Like, people can't... Um, it's hard to... It's hard to understand. Like, when people look at me, they probably think there's, like, no redeeming qualities of athleticism. <laughs> but if you play 11 years and you have a big motor... You, you won't be able to see that in a game. You won't be able to see, you know, like a 445 mile and how it translates because it really doesn't. It's a fast-paced game where, where quickness and jumping high and, and, and all those things matter. But I would say, you know, having an endless motor like that allows you to, you know, work harder or, you know, when you do get a chance to play, to really play. You know, like if you ask the Celtics, they have this bike record, a five-mile ride on the bike. I own the record for that. Any Celtic that ever came through with Brian Dew in the last 14 years, no one has even come close to breaking my record. I just have a huge motor, and I have the ability to push yourself past exhaustion and not feel that pain. That is a gift. It's not the same gift as like running fast and jumping high, and it doesn't necessarily always translate. But to be 6'9", 230 pounds, and run a 445 mile, that's not easy to do. See, your mentality is funny because you have this like real confidence about you. There, there's like there are certain things about yourself that you're super confident about, but then you always make fun of yourself. What's what's that balance like for you between like the confidence and the assuredness in yourself, and then kind of doubting yourself? Well, I don't think it's doubt. Don't like, don't you have to be confident to be self-deprecating? Like people that are self-deprecating, I guess in a way. Maybe I know how to hit the like like the perfect uh, spot where you're not coming off as too cocky and you're not coming off as like you think like you're looking for people to pat you on the back. I, you know, like I think you have to be confident to be self-deprecating. And you know, like I I know it plays well and there's always like little shots that I can take at myself in a in a in a fun way. But I'm I'm uh I'm also not delusional. Like I'm not you know, Lance Stevenson and think like the best <laughs> player in the league. Like I know who I am and I know there's some strengths there and I know there's some weaknesses and I know, you know, that um, when I did get a chance to play as a starter, I impacted winning. You can just go look at my record as a starter. I win like 65% of my games. So yeah, that sounds like it doesn't, maybe it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're missing Kevin Garnett, a Hall of Fame player, or Kenyon Martin, a Hall of Fame, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, but he's like on the cusp, a max player, and you go in and fill in for those guys and to keep the team rolling, that builds confidence in yourself. Now, I don't necessarily think that I'm the most skilled player. I, you know, I definitely think there's a lot of growth in that area, 
But as far as like knowing how to play and knowing how to impact winning, I have the utmost confidence. We were talking about Paul Pierce earlier. Obviously, he just retired. Besides the, the simple fact that he had like every skill, what was it that kind of separated him from a lot of other guys that allowed him to play 19 seasons that you saw up close for, for several years? Three things. The, the number one thing I thought was highly competitive, right? Because that's like um, a lot of guys are good, but they're not like competitive like Pierce. Pierce is driven like from a deep, deep, deep competitiveness. Uh, you you mentioned like the the skills, right? Like the ability to you know play on the ball, play off the ball. You know, be a mid post scorer. You know, be a high pick and roll player. Fill in for Rondo when he's out, and 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 help the team win in that area, right? Like he he's a very good all around basketball player. Not a lot of people have that skill set where they can play multiple positions. You know, at the end of his career, he's playing four. He's played some one. He's really a two or a three. And then the last thing is, and I don't know if people really understand this, this is a big part of the NBA. When things aren't going well for you, when things aren't going well for your team and, you know, like a team is on a NATO run and you need to, like, if a team scores again, you're going to call a timeout and you waste that timeout. Pierce has this uncanny ability to get you a bucket when you definitely need it. Like, all points are not created equal. Go back and watch Tim Duncan play. And when things aren't going well for the Spurs and they go punch five to Tim Duncan and he gets to the free throw line or gets you a bucket, it, it, it allows Pop to not use a timeout and save it. And people want to think that two points is two points. It's not. Like, those two points are needed. And another thing with Pierce is when the possession gets thrown to garbage and the ball is being bobbled around, he has this ability to, like, get a good look you know, with eight seconds on the clock and he picked the ball up at half court and find a way, like, in the chaos around a bad offense, he figures out a way to score. And I don't think people value that. Like, those two points are also worth more than another two points. So that's those things that really stand out to me. I, You know, going to this current team, Isaiah Thomas is another guy like that. As things are going bad, he gets you a bucket and allows Brad not to have to call a timeout. He also could operate late in the shot clock and, and save a possession that really should not have been scored. You said competitiveness. Aren't all guys in the NBA competitive like that? Uh, not like that. Not like that. Like, I, I guess don't, don't look at like the beat your chest competitive. It's like there's surface competitiveness and there's like Jason Kidd was like this too. He has this like deep, deep desire to, to be successful and to, and to win. That's uh, and I don't know if Pierce was like that the whole time because I wasn't here. I know like he struggled with that when I first got here and we didn't win. And then when we, you can just tell those guys are driven from a different animal. Like some people are driven just to make the lead. Some people are driven just to sort of uh, have some success in the lead. Pierce is driven from within to win, to win. That was it. Like individual success kind of comes with the territory. Those guys are not trying to get theirs. Those guys are trying to win, and along the way, they get theirs. Yeah, now, now we're, we're getting to the end here. I, I got I got one thing that I've, I've wanted to talk to you about for a long time, which is your press conference, man. The press conference, the best press conference of all time. Whatever compelled you to, to take the podium and give that press conference you did after, the, after beating the Lakers in the finals? Yeah, so, like, just to keep it, 
uh, 100 with you. <laughs> you know, like you eat pregame at three o'clock. The game's at nine. By the time I was back in the locker room with the champagne bottle, it was like 12:30 in the morning. So it doesn't take a lot of champagne. <laughs> a little tipsy. So when I went up there, I wasn't, you know, like uh, like 100 percent with my wits there. But uh, I thought that it was really interesting that that I believe that defense wins championships, and you hear people say that. But that we were overwhelming underdogs to the Los Angeles Lakers. And, and when we were, like, not a good defensive team, you can make an argument that we were one of the greatest defensive teams to ever play, to ever play. And so, I mean, our physicality, our rim protection, you know, the positional size, the coaching with Doc and Tibbs together. And so I just – I was shocked that people thought that we were going to lose to the Lakers. And – so that, that's sort of like the, the press conference. It was my way of asking the media, how can you guys think you're so smart when you guys are not? And I'll probably ask you those <laughs> questions all the time. And I actually respect you. I think you have a good idea of most uh, games going in. And you, you see me kind of like probing you before games like we're in the media room. Like, what do you think about tonight? And I think you get them right and I get them right. I get them wrong, you get them wrong. But uh, I was just so shocked by the overwhelming uh, underdog that we were against like. <laughs> So how how drunk were you, man? One bottle of champagne on, on an empty stomach pretty quick. <laughs> uh, that team, there was such a togetherness about that team. What was most important for you, do you think, developing that in that squad? You know, I don't, I'm not a big guy in the chemistry. And I know a lot of people want to talk about that in the media. It's big, like a key word. I personally believe that when you're good – and you push each other to be good, that you don't really necessarily have to like each other. That team happened to like each other at that point in time. But I think the reason they liked each other is because it was the most highly competitive group I've ever been around. I don't think that you would ever imagine how, and not just whether it be dice games, card games on the plane, uh, shooting free throws afterwards. Like there's never been a group that has been that competitive. I it has never even been close to any team I've ever been on. Almost to the fact that when I went to Chicago and um, I started like going through that season, I had the withdrawals. Like I needed more like <laughs> and uh, I needed more like like kind of like controversy. That team had a lot of internal. Not like we didn't like each other, but like we wanted to. Everyone wanted to beat each other at everything. It, it, like the challenges can't make ten out of ten can't make five free throws in a row without hitting the rim. It was just like, it was like that all day long for a whole, like I, I would say even the following year in 2009 was like that as well. You guys had some of the tough, that was like the toughest team. It was like Garnett, Perk, Rondo, Tony Allen, Leon Poe, like just everybody up and down that team was just kind of crazy a little bit. Yeah, like, yeah, big baby. Yeah, no question. I mean, it's like everyone had an edge to them on that team. And, uh, and it was you could it was always present. Were you kind of Practice. were you kind of like what the hell is going on? Like these guys are nuts. You get used to it really quickly. It takes like uh, I would say by the time like we got out of Rome, we knew like the the groundwork was set. We knew how this was going to go. Yeah. All right, man. I, I appreciate your time. I'll let you go now. I know you have a, a ton of other interviews to do today, so I appreciate it. But finally, got you on the damn podcast, man. All all it took was a hair hair transplant event. That's it. You gotta, you gotta. If you get your up your followers, I wouldn't mind doing this. Hey, we we got some followers now, man. We, 
Where are you at? Give me your number. Give me your number. It, it's I'll give I'll give it to you in private, but it's getting higher and higher. It, it's crossed the threshold you wanted it to cross before you would come yeah, on the podcast. I've also, also gotten better too now. See, yeah, that is true. You're big time these days. You're you're all over the place, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just challenging you to be better, man. I just want you to be the best version of yourself. I appreciate it. Got to have that controversy. That OA team taught you that, man. That's true. <laughs> all right, take care, Scott. you don't subscribe to locked on celtics search for locked on celtics wherever you listen to podcasts audio boom itunes stitcher google play wherever else you'll be able to find us give us a five-star rating subscribe to us do all that we appreciate it we'll be giving you podcasts monday through friday although soon because it's deep into the off season we'll be tapering off to probably three podcasts a week monday wednesday friday anyway hope you appreciated the scalabrini interview that is it for this episode of the Locked On Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah, Jay King and John Corrales, Locked On Celtics, Millie's. fashion hotline hi my family's going to a tailgate and i want our style to stand out from the crowd just go to old navy old navy yep old navy's got all the latest fall styles plus during old navy's colossal sale you'll save up to 50 percent off store-wide did you say up to 50 percent off i did so don't sit on the sidelines old navy has the perfect pants from 19 bucks stylish dresses from 15 bucks and comfy tees for the family from just six bucks right now at old navy and old navy.com we're cheering for old navy high fashion old navy valid 10 2 to 10 10 select styles only Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.